0: Verses 1 to 10. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the Spirit, who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And it is not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Well, friends, do sit down.
1: And we come to a tricky passage in Ephesians. So let's pray together as we begin. Father, thank you that your word is indeed a light and a lamp unto our path. And we pray, give us light this morning. Open the eyes of our hearts to see the glories of these truths. So, Father, please, through these words, in the depths of the hearts of each one of us, glorify yourself for Jesus' sake. Amen. I went. I wanted to go to the doctors this week. I wanted to go to the doctors and ask them a question. I wanted to ask the doctor, how does it feel when you've got a folder on your desk with a diagnosis that you know is terrible and your patient is about to walk in? How does it feel when the patient walks in and they're so happy and so kind of radiant and they clearly have no idea what is in the file? Be tempted to duck it. Are you tempted to soft-pedal it? Don't want to ruin their day. Don't want to lose the radiance. Well, praise the Lord that any doctor worth their salt will say the hard thing, won't they, for the good of the patient. And Paul is no exception. He's not a doctor, but he's going to give us a terrible diagnosis for our good. Remember last week, Paul had talked about the immense power that is for the church to be the church, that it's incomparable. It's like the power that God exerted when he raised Jesus from the tomb up into the glories of heaven, above every power and authority. And yet sometimes we don't feel powerful, do we? The Apostle Paul, as he writes this, I imagine didn't feel powerful. He's in prison in Rome. Who's more powerful, Paul or the Roman Empire? So we are in this old school hall Just a few of us, I guess we don't feel very powerful. Maybe we wonder, do we see God's power today? Maybe we do in China. Do we see it in New Zealand? And this passage says, yes we do. That if you're a Christian here this morning, you are a wonderful example of God's power. But, we will only understand that, we'll only appreciate that, if we grasp this diagnosis that we are dead that we were dead in our sins and transgressions and if you're not a believer here today it is wonderful that you're with us I'm so thrilled that you're with us but do you see some of these words are deeply offensive and I'm I'm sorry about that in one level, but do you see that Paul is not saying this to be rude quite the opposite, he's saying it for your good, for all of our good so that you too might experience God's power and grace and if you miss the diagnosis the danger is you go from here like that person from the doctor's surgery with a radiant smile but walking under a death sentence and for us too if we go from here missing this diagnosis the Christian here we will never appreciate the wonder of God's grace or his great power for the church Well, Paul's just told them, as I said, of this great power, of the great blessing for the church. And then he turns to the Ephesians, verse 1, and reminds them what they were. Now you're blessed, now you have everything in Christ, but as for you, you were dead in your sins and transgressions. And it's not just the Ephesians. Look at verse 3. All of us at one time also lived among them. This is the universal human condition. This, if you're a Christian, is how you once were, how I once was, and this is how every single person living on the earth today, if they're not in Christ, is. Two points this morning. The first is this. We were dead in our sins. We were dead in our sins. And Paul says, your sins killed you. The word for transgressions here is a word of of, uh, crossing a line, trespassing. You've done things you know to be wrong. The word sins is is a word for falling short. And haven't we just said that in our confession? We've sinned in the wrong we've done, the things we've done we know to be wrong, and in the good we have not done, the sins we've fallen short of. And Paul says those things have killed us. They've cut us off from the source of spiritual life, from the Lord Jesus, the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Imagine you went to hoover your house, to vacuum your house. For some of you, that might take a lot of imagining. But um, imagine you... Um, I, I need to... <laughs> Charlie's waving her hands. That uh, You need to imagine, I think she's saying, darling. Uh, imagine you got your hoover out, and you didn't plug it in. And you went and kind of ran it over the carpets. Well, you'd be kind of hoovering. It's a hoover, but there's no power. Well, in the same way, we're alive in one sense, but spiritually we're dead. There is no power. That's what we once were. And because we were dead, because there was no power, we were dragged around by all kinds of forces, powerless to resist them. And in particular, Paul mentions the world, the flesh, and the devil, that triad that rages against God's work. Have a look at uh, verse one again. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And that word followed comes a couple of times, doesn't it? Somebody said it's a bit like the word being dragged about. We were dragged about by the world. And we know that, don't we? There was a time when we just merged in. Our values were shaped by the world our idea of what is right and wrong, our hopes and our goals, all of that shaped by the world. Think of the time when you go to a film. I wonder if you have this experience. You go to see a film and um, you came out to the cinema and you thought, that was terrific. That's the best film I've seen in ages. But as you come out, your two friends, one of them says, oh, wasn't that hopeless? And the other one says, yeah, it was awful. Well, suddenly, we, some of us say, no, no, I thought it was great. Most of us, don't we kind of acquiesce, we merge? I thought it was all right. I had thought it was amazing, but I've merged. And Paul is saying that's what we do. We're dragged along. We just merge in. We go with the flow. Imagine you take a dead fish, and you throw it into the River Avon. Just gets swept along, doesn't it, with the tide? And that's what Paul's saying. We've no power, so we're dragged along by the current. And it's offensive, isn't it? This is rude. We don't want to hear this. Well, the next verse is even worse. We weren't just dragged along by the world. Paul says we were dragged along by the devil. You who followed the ways of this world, he says, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And the ruler of the air is the devil. The air is symbolically the place between the earth and heaven. If you like the lower heavenly realms. And it's the place... That figuratively, the the devil rules over. And see what it says. The devil is at work in those who are disobedient, as we once were, and because we're dead, we have no power to resist. Now, it's not saying that those who are not in Christ are possessed by the devil. Absolutely not. But it is saying that the devil and evil forces prompt and tempt and urge us to do things. And before we were alive, they dragged us along. Because we had no power to resist, we were dead. Well, the world, the devil, but also the flesh. Look down at the next verse. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, and following its desires and thoughts. This word sinful nature, or flesh, is so often people think it's to do with sex, and you can sort of see, why can't you? Cravings and desires, they're they're sometimes sort of sordid words, aren't they? They're not supposed to be. Desires are good, aren't they? We desire all kinds of things, and God gives us good desires. But the problem is, they become too strong. And instead of wanting to, to desire the things God wants, we desire what we want. And those things drag us away and they kill us. And friend, haven't you known that kind of temptation? There's something you know is wrong and yet you want it. Maybe there's somebody who slighted you and you want to knife them back with your words. And there's something deep inside you that wants to do that. Have you experienced that? Or maybe there's something you lust after and you, a thing or a person, and we want it, don't we? And something in the depth of our being desires it. And if we're not careful, it drags us away. And we can't resist. And I wonder if we think, that's too much. This picture that Paul is painting, it's too bleak. That's not what humans are like. But I think we can experiment with this. I think there's lots in the Bible we, we can't prove but I think this we can demonstrate by experiment, friends. If you think this is too bleak, try this week for a whole week to do, say, or think nothing that is not good or holy or pure. Try it for a week. See how you get on. A friend of mine set this challenge. He was speaking at a school, and he set this challenge to a group of schoolboys. And uh, there was one guy who said, "Yeah, I'll take it. I'll be back in a week and get the prize." And he never saw him again. And if we're honest, we know, don't we, that we do bad things. We know we do this. But actually, when you try that experiment, you find out not only that you don't do these things, that I don't do these things, but that we can't do these things. That actually there are things we desire to do that are good, and, and actually we find we can't do them. We're dragged along, we're dead. But it gets even worse. Not only can't we do them, so often the good that we know is good we don't want to do we don't even want to we know it's good we know it's for our best but we want something else and Paul says that's because we're dead and the result of that is ultimately we are doomed we're doomed look at verse 3 by nature we were objects of wrath wrath is God's holy anger isn't it And we need to be clear, it's not his kind of capricious, fly-off-the-handle kind of rage. This is a settled, holy anger that looks at evil in all of its many forms and says no. And that's a good thing, isn't it? We see, we're so loath to see evil in this way, don't we? We see some horrible evil. We open our newspaper and we see some child abuse. Or we see somebody beating their wife. Or we see exploitation of workers in a factory. And maybe for a moment we think, oh, that's not good. But it doesn't scare us. It doesn't bother us. But it does bother a God. And that is good. He will end that evil. It's a, a manifestation of his good character. And yet, of course, the problem is we too do evil. And so we too are objects of his wrath. That is what we are by nature. And the result of that is, by nature, without God's help, we will be cast away from God into a place that the most loving man ever to have walked the earth calls hell. This is strong stuff, isn't it? And I wonder if we think this is too harsh. The world around us insists, doesn't it, that we are fundamentally good, that humans are fundamentally good. And there's a whole industry at persuading us that we need to find our inner value. And this idea that we are like this is is abhorrent. And someone is probably thinking, but aren't we made in the image of God? To which the answer is yes, we are, and we're wonderfully and fearfully made, but we're corrupted. Somebody else is thinking, but don't people outside the church do good things? Well, yes, of course they do. This is not saying we're as bad as we could be. Praise God for that, or it would be civil war in here. We're not as bad as we could be, but everything is tainted by this. And there are many people outside who are spiritu- who seem spiritually vibrant. They pray, they do yoga, they go to the temple. There are many people like that in Ephesus. It had one of the biggest temples in the world, an ancient wonder of the world. They look so spiritually vibrant, and yet this verdict is, if they are outside of Christ, as we all once were, we're dead. And we need to hear this in this age because otherwise we will like that person into the doctors with a death sentence on the desk and we leave the office smiling. Oh, everything's okay. And yet God has done something. And unless we hear the bad, we won't look for the cure. But there is a wonderful cure, isn't there? There is wonderful grace. Look at verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, has done something. He hasn't left us dead. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. Do you see what that says? We who had no spiritual life, who by nature were dead, God, in Christ, made us alive. That that power that took a dead man in a tomb, a flogged, dead, broken body with not a, a tiny bit of life in it, and in the same way that God raised that man, Jesus Christ, from the dead, he's done that to each one of us, if we're a Christian, if we're in Christ. And not only has he made us alive, he's raised us up. He's seated us in the heavenly realms. He's saying he's plugged us in to the power. We're not a useless hoover. We're the who we're made to be. We, we, it's a silly, silly thing. We have great power. We have spiritual life and eternal life, indestructible life. And we're seated in heaven with Christ. Now, that's hard to get our heads around. But the Bible's really clear There's, there is a, a spiritual realm. And when we put our trust in Christ, when we're in Christ, that's not just some kind of I believe in Christ there is a a union with Christ there is a, 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 a relationship a connection with Christ and we are connected to Christ and whatever happens to him when he dies we die our sins are paid for when he raises we're raised and we give a new indestructible life and then he's seated up in the heavenly realms above every power and dominion and so too are we and one day that will be made known to the world that is where we really are Because that's where Christ is, whom we're united to. And you see what that means? Once we were dead, but now we're alive. We're no longer that dead fish swimming, being dragged down the current. We're like a salmon, alive, swimming upstream with great power. We're no longer pushed around by the devil. Yes, he still tries to push us off course, but we're seated above him. He's under our feet. And no longer are we dragged along by our sinful desires. Yes, they rage against us. But do you see we have a new life in our hearts? A new power that urges us and prompts us to go God's way. Friends, if we want to know where God's power is, look around. Here is God's power. And it's glorious, isn't it? If you're a Christian, think back to a time when you weren't. And I know some people don't. They've... Mercifully from the, the, the day they've, they, they've had a kind of conscious memory they've always followed Christ but if you know a day before you're Christian think back to that day and think what you were like and do you see the way you got there's not by some spiritual push-ups it was by a resurrection miracle and do you see why God is doing it? Because of his great love for us. Literally, because of the great love with which he loved us. God who is rich in mercy. The God who poured out his grace. Why did he do it? Because this is who he is. He is a God of love. A God overflowing with mercy. I saw this week one of those funny, I don't even know what you call them. Is it a meme? One of those funny pictures with uh, some words on it. And uh, maybe that's not, I don't know what called. Anyway, it popped up in my Facebook stream. I'm doing better than Jay, I know what Facebook is, so don't laugh at me. Um, and this was a quote from Malcolm Forbes, and uh, it said this. I think Malcolm Forbes used to publish the Forbes magazine. Anyway, he says this. You can easily judge the character of a man by how he treats those who mean nothing to him. It's quite profound, isn't it? You can easily judge the character of a man or woman by how they treat those who mean nothing to him. How they treat the store clerk. How they treat the person on the phone in the Indian call centre. Well, how did God treat us who were dust of the earth, who'd been made in his image but turned away, who'd rebelled, who were disobedient, who were dead? Did he leave us in our death? No. He poured out his mercy because he loved us. And He sent his only son, whom he loved dearly, to go and die for wretches, that he might hang on a tree in agony, under God's wrath that should rightly be ours, that he might raise us up too. Isn't that wonderful? That is the God who treats people who by rights are nothing, with great love. And friends, we see this is so critical. Let me just apply this in three ways. The world wants us to say, God loves us because we're special. That sounds so pastoral, doesn't it? God loves you, brother, because you're special. God loves you because you're you. That's the air we breathe, isn't it? And it seeps so easily into the church. And the world says, unless we have that kind of message, you're special because you're special, people will be depressed and and have low self-esteem. And I think it's exactly the opposite. This kind of teaching is anathema to the world, isn't it? You can't tell people they're dead. You can't tell people they're bad. How dare you? And yet actually what is the world doing? It's saying, you are wonderful. And yet deep in our hearts we know that's not true. And so people feel depressed and they feel blue because they don't live there's a gap, isn't there? I'm supposed to be wonderful. I'm supposed to live up to my Instagram account and actually I don't feel like that inside. And so the world says more and more, discover the inner you, discover your self-esteem. And the gap gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And no wonder mental illness and, and, and depression and self esteem rise. Now, don't want to be simplistic. But do we see that trend? And yet God's and, and the problem with that spiritually is on a good day, what do we do? I'm special. I know God loves me. Of course God loves me. He loves me because I'm me. In fact, God loves me. He's he's lucky to have me as one of his friends. Isn't that where we end up? But then on a bad day, when we know the gap, and we feel that gap, and we feel awful, and we want to hide from our friends, never mind hiding from God, and we think, I can't go near him. I haven't been good today. I'll I'll wait till I've had a few good days in a row. Won't go to church this week because I've been bad. We don't go and we run away from him. But when did God love us? Not when we were special, when we were dead. And that means however bad we feel, however awful we feel inside, we can come to him. Because at our weakest and lowest, he loved us enough to send his son and pour out grace on us. And if we don't see the diagnosis, we'll end up not seeing the grace. And it damages us. Damages us. It doesn't just damage us. If we don't see the diagnosis, it damages the world. Because if we're not careful, we look around at the world outside because we look at ourselves and we think, actually, we weren't dead. We were just sort of spiritually flabby. And so we look at the world outside. You know, they're not dead. They're just a bit sick. And so we we recommend, we encourage people to do things that will make them spiritually fitter. Ten steps to spiritual well-being. Take this book and, and read it. And, you know, just try harder. Maybe it's a lack of education. Read this book and find some things out about God or or discover your inner self. And the people in the Bible are saying, Paul is saying, that is naive. That is like sending a personal trainer to a graveyard and getting them to shout at the graves and coming back in in an hour and wondering why the, the, the corpses are not doing star jumps. It's crazy. And the problem is if we do that, we wonder where's the power. Why are people not coming in? Why is this great power we heard about last week not working? Well, it's because we're not offering it. Instead, we're offering some tips for spiritual well being. And the wonderful things, if we see that people are dead, then we know that there's not degrees of deadness, isn't it? You might be it might be a drug dealer or a dentist, but if you're dead, you're dead. And that's humbling but it means that same great resurrection power can get hold of you however lovely your life looks or however bad it is because all of us were dead and this same great power is at work for all of us I take it there's implications of this we won't go into this we haven't got time but for how we raise our children our children aren't just uh, a little bit sick needing prompting and steering in the right direction this means they're dead by nature. And we need to pray urgently that God will give them new life. I was at a little prayer retreat yesterday for some of the prayer ministry team. And Edna said uh, before every great revival, there was an outpouring of people who prayed. And that is surely right, isn't it? Before a revival, when many people come to know the Lord, surely the people of God realize the situation of the people around them, the situation that we were once in, and realize it's not a matter of some spiritual tips. It's dead. And and we can't raise dead people up. We can run an event. We can get flash advertising. We can get a wonderful speaker from somewhere. We can't raise a dead. And when we grasp that, we bow down on our knees and say, God, you've got to do it. And he says, I've got this great power for the church. Well, last application. If we don't see this, if we soft-pedal this diagnosis, we won't give God the glory. Do you see why God has done this? Verse 6, he's raised us up with Christ, seated him in the the heavenly realms, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to Christ Jesus. Do you see, he wants the world to see how good he is and he is good and the more people see how good he is the more people come in and find that great mercy and that's how we're supposed to live to show that glory people are supposed to look at James Ballinger and on one day, on on judgment day they will look at James Ballinger and say he was such a mess he was such a selfish fool and yet by grace you've made him this amazing thing he's only a tiny way there now but on that last day the world will marvel at your kindness to him just as the world will marvel at John Newton, the slave trader who found that great mercy, who knew he was a wretch. We just sung a song to him amazing grace. He knows it's amazing because he was a wretch. He knows he was a wretch. And the world will marvel at God's kindness. And that's where we see God's power. Look at verse 8 to 9 as he sums it up. By grace you've been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship going to think more about that next week, next week's Commitment Sunday. I'm going to think how God has designed us to do these wonderful good works. Not as a payback, but as the people we're supposed to be. But you see, it's by grace. And because it's by grace, it's good. And if you're not a believer here this morning, can I ask you, to see the diagnosis? Because if you don't, you won't look for this wonderful cure, God's free grace. Even the faith he gives us is a gift who wants to give it to you this morning I knew a man called Noel and uh, Noel was in a church I used to be part of and one day he got on the plane to go back to his hometown to Belfast and as he sat in the seat he noticed the guy across the aisle kept looking at, his, look, looking at him throughout the flight he kept kind of looking at his arm it was a bit odd and uh, as, Noel, as the plane landed Noel got up to go out this man handed him a note and he said, uh, "I don't mean to be rude, but I've been looking at your arm, and that little mole there—I don't want to worry you—it's it, it, cancerous. And uh, take this note to your doctor tomorrow." So Noel took the note to the doctor, and uh, the doctor rushed him the next day to the hospital, and they cut out that cancer, and he was saved. Didn't do anything. He didn't say. I was such a clever man I chose a seat next to a world class cancer surgeon he just all he did was get that note by pure grace by you could say pure accident but we know i have got a providential God who put that surgeon there and saw his thing and Noel had to take him at his word and if you're not a believer then there's things you need to ask and can I urge you to ask them is this really true is this this life that, that uh, seems so good in many ways—is it really cancerous? But see if we ask it. All we need to do is go to the hospital. All we need to do is reach out our hand and say, "Yes, please, thank you." And he's saved. And now was full of, full of praise. I got on a plane. I would have died a few weeks later, except by God's grace, there was a cancer surgeon there, and friends of us too. If it wasn't for God's grace we would be dead. And yet, through his great mercy, we are alive. Doesn't that thrill our hearts? That is where we see God's power today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you so much for this passage, for these wonderful truths. And Father, they are hard truths, and I'm explaining them inadequately. And so please, by your spirit, Drive them into our hearts. Pray for those who who are bristling, perhaps. Please help them to find somebody to, to ask or to talk to. But, Father, we long that we'd see this diagnosis, not so we'd wallow in our pity, but that we'd marvel at your grace that you freely poured out because you love us. To you be all the glory, because you are great. Amen.